have with us. I'm Jonathan. And uh, and Jonathan's with us here to uh, help us wrap up the book of Exodus. Uh, we don't have Isaac in, in here anymore, which is... It's sad, but it's also convenient because we only have three microphones. True. And so otherwise he'd just be shouting in here. And I don't think I ever actually heard Isaac shout. We'd, we'd have to like um, put him behind all these costumes in the yeah. corner or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'd uh, apologize to Andy about the height of his microphone because <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> Isaac I'm using used... Isaac's microphone yeah. today. And... <laughs> Isaac used to loom over this thing. <laughs> but we're here to, uh, uh, again, uh, pay some more tribute to the second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And so we have Jonathan in here with us today. Thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. All right. So uh, as a... Uh, as you as you study the book of Exodus and as you read it, uh, how do you approach Exodus? Man, how do I approach Exodus? Yeah. Um, mostly as the story of God's people um, being led out of captivity, mm-hmm. and um, and you know the we're going to talk a little bit more later about how I read things, but uh, but the other thing I I would always read Exodus as is is, is as pointing to Jesus um, and as the story of Israel pointing to Jesus. Awesome. So uh, what is the, man, there's a, this is like the, the complicated, like I, the, the sight line for that then, like as you like, as you sight something over the horizon toward like looking, looking for stars on the horizon, you, you, you pick out things that you look for that are going to be in the, in the path of that. So what's the sight line then uh, looking through X's to the future for, for Jesus? Yeah. Well, a couple principles that I read, the Bible with. Um, one of them is, uh, the first principle is, is that every piece of God's story somehow points us to the Messiah. And so when you see in the book of Exodus, you see um, a deliverer being brought to Israel and then the people of God being led out of captivity and then the people of God crossing the uh, the Red Sea and then the people of God being given the law. Um, when we when we look to the New Testament, I mean, uh, is it Paul who points directly to um, the Red Sea as a baptism? And then you see the Spirit given on the day of Pentecost, which is the celebration of receiving the law um, in the wilderness. So you you see these parallels that I, the New Testament writers point to. I don't even, doesn't, this isn't, I don't have to bear the responsibility of pointing to these things. <laughs> Uh, but that, that's the that's one of the two principles that I that, that I look most closely at when I read any place in the Bible is how does this thing point to Jesus because I think it all points to Jesus. Awesome. So and 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 they would of course in the New Testament times and in, in the uh, first century uh, Jerusalem times have needed to have pointed at their their uh, their their forebears and said, hey, look. This is part of your culture. This is part of your heritage. You've been brought out of slavery in this time, and then now you're being brought out of out of the slavery of sin here. And sure. so, uh, and, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, relating it with them, with them there, as they, so, um, making it culturally relevant for them in first century uh, Jerusalem. Um, how do we how do we then uh, tie some of the some of the features that we see in Exodus to to our culture today? Then. Well, I, I think first, first I use the same principle. Um, I, I point us to Jesus, and, okay. and that uh, we are in slavery and need a deliverer, and God has provided that deliverer in Jesus. 
And as we follow Jesus out of the land of slavery, we pass through baptism and we receive God's spirit and we then walk according to the law and we do, we then do God's will. So, uh, uh, people who have listened to past episodes and like, especially in, in this, in this season, will remember that Jonathan came in here when we, uh, we had a, a, a real tricky bit of Bible to, to wander through, which was the, the odd bloody, bloody ritual of the circumcising somebody, uh, uh, on the way to Egypt. And, um, and the, the idea that, uh, Jonathan, you helped point us to was that it wasn't just a thing that happened, but it was actually an important moment that pointed to, uh, worship matters and that worshiping God in the way that he prescribes really matters, especially if you're going to go and be the guy who represents God to a whole lot of people that we should take great care to to do, to, to do so. Uh, are, are there any other uh, worship-related ideas that you run into in the in the book of Exodus, whether it be in the, the, the Ten Commandments or in the setup of the, the tabernacle or the, the institution of the Passover that really help you, like, refine for yourself what, what, um, how worship should be done? Well, Jesus helps us with the next one, and I was thinking of this as you were talking because you referred back to, uh, back to that circumcision passage. Um, but Jesus tells us in John 6, I actually talked about it this past week. Was it this past week? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was this past yes, week. Uh, that uh, he points, the, the people show up and he feeds, he feeds the 5,000. Then he goes to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee and they follow him over. And uh, they then point, they say to Jesus, hey, uh, Jesus, you should show us with signs that you are the Messiah and by the way, we really liked that sign where you made lots of bread. <laughs> Would you do that for us again? Because that was a sign that Moses gave us. And he then said, well, really, you're going to have to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man if you want to be saved. And they didn't like that. And, and of course, what? so this all ties together. So this, of course, all ties together with the manna that they received in the wilderness as well. And they point, they understood the Jewish people that approached Jesus understood that that was what this was about. Yeah. Well, because like they had 12 baskets left over, right? 12 basket. Yeah. yeah. And it's, which is like, it's, you know, we, we, we cautioned in the past, right, Andy, about, about getting super wrapped up about numerology, but that was a pretty significant number of baskets to be left over. Like the provision of the entire nation of Israel being symbolized in what was left over. Um, I was talking with someone today or yesterday, I don't know, days kind of swim together, but it's uh, that if people think that the Bible doesn't say weird things, they haven't read it. (laughs) (laughs) Because Jesus miraculously feeds thousands of people. The next day they say, hey, that food was pretty great. And says, you're going to have to eat me. And they go, what? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry. I got to go get my ear, uh, my, my earpiece fixed. That you said, eat you. And then, of course, he had the people who were left over, like his his uh, his apostles, his disciples, who didn't leave. And he said, "Why aren't you leaving?" And they they gave him a very unique answer, which was, like, "You speak the words of life. Where where else are we going to go? It's, they don't grow that on trees." Yeah. Here, one of the things that we've done with the youth is we've uh, um, we have done the uh, the seder meal uh, with the students at uh, you know the 
the week of uh, Holy Week, right before Easter, uh, just so that we can help to contextualize what the last the Last Supper did, and what was some of the nuance that was happening during the Last Supper, which I find absolutely fascinating. Because when we talk about when we when we go through the words, which I, any of us who have churches that do communion, we we talk about like we we, we say like you know like on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup, but then when you contextualize what that cup actually was that that's like you know it's widely thought that that was the cup of uh, redemption because they have several different themed cups during a seder meal and that was that would be the cup of redemption so we're talking about like the the cup we talk about redeeming the people that's me i am the redemption which was the claim that he would make and the um the bread was also one of the things that like they had to go like the kids had to go like find the bread like easter eggs and like bring it back and that was the thing that was hidden was he was the bread, uh, which is was fun, fun, fun stuff. Um, but the, to see like the first Passover meal was not ritualized like that. It was uh, the, the only ritual to it was take this blood and put it over here and then you don't die from bad things happening tonight. Uh, which, Jonathan, you pointed out was kind of what happened when Moses was on his way to Egypt and mm-hmm. something got cut and some blood got put someplace and then someone didn't die. The big question we have is, uh, we, we ran into it and it's just a fun question to ask because there's a lot of things surrounding it. It's on top of the mountain when, when God is giving Moses the law, he sees what the people are doing with the golden calf, and he says, I'm going to kill them down there. And Moses says, just wait one. And they, he rationalizes why it would be a good idea to not kill them all. And then the text says, God changed his mind. And so uh, the, the question that we have, Jonathan, and we'll, I'll pass it off to you here, is does God change his mind? Does it, is, it, is it like me when I, like, I go out for healthy food and then realize what I really want is fried chicken, and I change my mind? Or uh, something like that, or is, it, or, is it, or is it slightly different nuance from the language because it's written in an ancient language? Yeah. Well, so the first question I'd ask, and this is this is my fault for not doing my homework I, at a, at one and a half times speed. I couldn't quite get listened all the way up through chapter thirty-two of what you guys covered. <laughs> so, why don't you guys give a very brief recap of what you guys talked about in chapter thirty-two for any listeners who didn't get any farther than I did. I'll let Andy do that. I got I just, to the Ten Commandments. I didn't get past them. I do that because I've slept since then. No, I just put a big, giant chunk of grapefruit in my mouth. <laughs> That's true. You did. It just got worse. <laughs> He threw me a big question, and then he he threw me a big question, and then he put grapefruit in his mouth because he knew that there'd be a lot to say. But he'd have time. He'd have plenty of time to eat that piece of grapefruit. Um, This is This is evangelism, uh, an evangelism, an evangelism trick that I learned, which is that. When you are inviting someone to believe in Jesus, you have to stop talking at some point in time sure, so they can say sure. yes. Well, <laughs> so so let me just go ahead and, and talk for a minute while you're re, while you're getting ready to kind of give us a, a, a replay. And the reason I think that replay is important is that um, is that I I get really nervous doing doing big systematic theology. Um, I would rather I would rather 
do theology that's in the text with Christ in view. Mm-hmm. And I know that that uh, I know that that violates Andy's rule uh, for as you've talked through your podcast so far. And I've heard that comment many, many times. But but that's why I would rather do that, because when you start doing systematic theology, you start bringing ideas into a text that are hard to, it's hard to know if you're right or not, because there is a lot of, uh, because there is a lot of the Bible that I forget. I forget more of the Bible every day than I learn. Every, I'll have, I'll have preached a really good sermon on a passage, and then somebody will say, say to me a month later, hey, you had a really good sermon on this passage. What does this passage mean? And yes. I'll go back and read the passage, and I'll have no idea yes. what the passage means outside of what it says right there. And so I really hate to just straight up do systematic theology on, hey, does God change his mind? Uh, I think what we see in this passage, though, is similar to what we see in the story of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these are two very parallel passages in that you see people who have who have violated God's law and directly sinned against God. These these people choosing to make an idol to represent God, and in Jonah, people who were just heathens opposed to the people of God and to His ways, and you see. The prophet of God, of course, uh, you kind of have opposite sides here where Moses is, be- is pleading for God's mercy and the prophet Jonah is, um, is wishing that God would eliminate. Is pleading for not mercy. <laughs> yes, is, 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 is asking God to eliminate the, the Assyrians from the face of the earth. Let's go. And, uh, Blow them up. <laughs> yeah. And so, but, but what do you have? You have... And, and you have repentance on the—so here's where the story's different. You, you have repentance on the part of the Assyrians, and you mm-hmm. don't have repentance on the part of God's people in the story, but you have Moses being their intercessor, which, of course, points us to Jesus again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think, I, I, I think we see consistently through Scripture that when people repent, when people turn from their sin or— in this case, have an intercessor, we see that God relents Mm -hmm. from the judgment he has told them was coming. I can't come up with, I try to come up with a better word, (laughs) but, but the God has warned them or told them is coming. And so we see mercy, we see grace, and we see that we see a prescribed judgment that God withholds because an intercessor an intercessor has come or because repentance has come on behalf of the people and so does does God change his mind i think i think the question i, I guess there are several questions here i guess the the obvious reality that's really good news for us is that God, when there is an intercessor or when there is repentance, often does not bring judgment that he has said is going to happen. Um, I guess the bigger question I have as I scratch my head and read these passages is, did God know that the repentance or the intercessor were going to come? And so he prescribed the judgment knowing that this is the right judgment that's going to bring these people to rock bottom and bring about 
the desired repentance to bring to allow him to not bring his judgment. And so that that's the the next level question that I don't know that I need an answer to. I don't know that I need that question answered to feel theologically satisfied by the grace and the mercy of God. Yeah, so the, the idea that God is not surprised by repentance uh, doesn't really doesn't really count toward some of the more important things. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, the <clears throat> the most important thing that we said in our entire uh, uh, examination of this idea, uh, it, it hasn't actually published on a, on a podcast forum yet, it'll publish in two days, is, <clears throat> if you're listening to this right now, it published last week. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, the most important thing that was said is is something that Andy landed on and insisted on and he like man he like he he sat on this idea and it was it was a great idea it was just like the 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 idea that is proven here of God's character is his faithfulness it's it's his continued faithfulness to us and to uh to um to his values and to his relationship to us and his promises to us of what he has said that he will he will be to us and what he will do for us <laughs>